0: Well, for those who are listening, this is not the original recording that was done on Sunday morning. For some reason that did not record. So we're kind of doing a take two this afternoon. Anyway, my name is uh, Curtis Hickey and uh, just a joy to be with everyone at Hope and speaking to those uh, that are listening this afternoon. But uh, I also wanna recognize my wife because as Mike said earlier, you know we've been married a while Mona and I, but I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without my wife, Mona, who is my rock. She is that uh, solid person with me, the glass half full, the optimist, and uh, she keeps me straight. So I'm very thankful for her. I am very blessed to have married her and call her my wife of almost 36 years. You know, Mike was talking earlier how that we've had an opportunity to know each other for Close to 30 years, best of friends. But uh, the more amazing fact is that between the two of us, Mike and Denise and Mona and myself, we've been married for almost 68 years come June. And uh, I think that's something that we can just really thank God for and praise Him for that. But a little bit about us, Uh, Mona and I, as I said, have been married almost 36 years. We have two incredible kids, Ethan, who is 25, our daughter Jenna, who is uh, 22. And we've been in ministry now for close to 30 years, all the way from the frozen tundra of Alaska several years ago to the hot tropics down in Waikil, Ecuador, South America, where we currently have a nonprofit ministry called Bread of Life International Ministries that uh, works with kids in soup kitchens and pastors in evangelism and outreach, especially to kids. And uh, that is currently ongoing, and God has blessed us to be a part of that ministry. But along those years of, uh, of marriage that Mona and I have, have gone down, we have had our, uh, our share of challenges, shall we say, opportunities as well to grow. And I can tell you up front that we do not have a perfect marriage. I, I want to make that clear. We're not self-described marriage experts. You know, I once heard someone say that a Christian... Is simply one beggar showing another beggar where to find life-saving bread, and I kind of feel like that's kind of who we are, a couple that's been on a life journey, and learning things we desire to share with others as it relates to understanding and enjoying marriage. You know, I also realize whenever I talk about marriage that I want to be sensitive to those who are not married as well as to those who have gone through divorce. I really cannot think of any family that I know well that hasn't gone through the ravages of divorce. Mona and I both have family members that have been through it, as I'm sure many of you do that are listening. And also to those who are not married yet, but uh, you know you're thinking about that someday, hopefully you can glean some things from this message today that will help to set you up the right way for marriage and a strong foundation. But today, as I'm talking, it's not necessarily about giving you practical things to enhance your relationship. Today is about building a foundation. Back in December, Mona and I moved into a new house in a new neighborhood. And across the street from us, we watched as they began to to build another house. And it was on a lot that was severely sloped from the front to the back. And so they were bringing in a lot of dirt to fill that in. And... Uh, it was sloped so severely that we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, I don't think i will be interested in buying a house that was built there because I'm not sure how strong that foundation is going to be. You know, as things settle over time, there's going to be a lot of cracks that appear in the wall, a lot of uh, uh, nails that pop out. And it's the same with our marriages. You know, if we don't have that strong foundation, there are going to be cracks that will appear. And depending on how strong that foundation is, how severe those cracks will be. So it really doesn't do us much good to give you band-aids for your solutions if you don't have that foundation in place. And so this week, as I was uh, studying and preparing for this, and on the um, on the subject of marriage, I thought, you know, let's look at some definitions. And, and so I began to look at some definitions on marriage, and, and I tell you, I came across one, and I'm like, what? I Said marriage, the act. Of marrying someone. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Uh, is that it? Is that how people think of, of marriage? Some begin to wonder, you know, in our society, and our culture, what does one think of when they think of marriage? <laughs> well, perhaps it's something like this. Marriage is a wonderful institution, I just don't want to be institutionalized. Or on this one, marriage is finding that special person to annoy for a lifetime or one that's probably going to get me in trouble. Marriage is like a deck of cards. In the beginning, all you need is two hearts and a diamond. By the end, you wish you had a club and a spade." It's kind of like this uh, next couple I want to talk about. On Wilma and Harry's 50th wedding anniversary, their friends and family members threw a big party. Finally, when the festivities were over and the last guest went home, Wilma turned to Harry and said, "'You know, Harry, We've been miserable for 50 years. We fought every day. We disagreed on nearly everything, and I'm convinced we can't go on this way. So I'm making a commitment, a commitment to pray that God will help us solve this problem. To be honest, I am praying that God will take one of us home, and when he does, I'm going to live with my sister in Grand Rapids. You know, we kind of laugh at those things, but uh, you know what? Marriage is not easy. In case you haven't noticed, men and women are different. And so you take two individuals like that and put them together under the same roof, and guess what? You're going to have some challenges. So how do we do marriage? Well, you know there are a lot of TV shows out there right now that uh, address the issue of marriage. TV shows like Marriage Boot Camp, Bridezilla's, Married at First Sight, My Big Redneck Wedding, I think it's safe to say that marriage as God intended it to be is not greatly respected in our current culture. Now as my kids like to say, oh dad's about to get serious. But you know there's never been a generation whose view of marriage is high enough. The gulf between the biblical vision of marriage and the human vision is and always has been huge. Some cultures in history respect the importance of marriage more than others Some, like our own, have such low, casual, take-it-or-leave-it attitudes towards marriage as to make the biblical vision seem ludicrous. You know, it's bad enough that the secular world has discounted marriage into some kind of quasi-legal contract that, like other voluntary contracts, can be made or broken at will. The greater tragedy is the failure of Christians to take marriage seriously. Could it be that we don't fully understand God's plan for marriage? The greatness and glory of marriage is beyond our ability to think or feel without divine revelation and without the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot know what true marriage is without learning it from God. In our natural state, we do not have the capacity to see or receive or feel the wonder of what God has designed for marriage to be. So what we need to do is go back from the beginning, to go back and build that foundation if it is not in place. And the most foundational thing to see from God's word about marriage is that it is God's doing. Marriage is God's doing. Let's look at several ways to see this. First is that marriage was God's design. It is His doing because it was His design in the creation of man and woman. Genesis one twenty seven twenty eight 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and fill the earth. And then we look in depth at that in Genesis two eighteen through 25 where it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and enclosed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of bone, a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now notice in verse 18 we find the first not good in Scripture. Now why was it not good? After all, Adam had everything he really needed, or so he thought. You know, he had his conversation with God, he had the opportunity to talk with God day in and day out. He had all the animals, he had all the beautiful plants, but yet there was something missing. And why was that? You see, God created us for relationship. Relationship with Him, with our spouse, and with others. We have that vertical relationship with Him, but it's those horizontal relationships that help us grow and mature. So we see here that God created Adam, but there was no one found that was suitable for him. Okay, I can't be serious all the time, or I might lose you here. So do you ever use your imagination with scripture? I'll say like, what kind of conversations did Adam have with God? You know, he had the opportunity to talk with God. You know, when God was parading parading all the animals before him and there was no one found for him, maybe Adam said something like this, you know God, it's not that I'm ungrateful or anything, I just need someone who is like me but a little different, someone who is sexy, sweet, submissive and sensitive to all my needs, someone who is beautiful but not bossy, you know Adam says God, Something like that will cost you an arm and a leg. Hmm, says Adam, what can I get for a rib? You ever wonder why God didn't also create woman from the dust of the earth like He did Adam? Well, I believe God had a better plan. By creating Eve out of Adam's rib, He demonstrated that woman is to walk beside man, not in front, not behind. He also emphasized the closeness of the special relationship between husband and wife. I like how author David Jeremiah sums it up. The man is restless while he misses the rib that was taken out of his side. The woman is restless until she gets under man's arm from where she was taken. It is humbling to the woman to know that she was created for the man, but it is to her glory to know that she alone can complete him. Likewise, it is humbling to the man to know that he is incomplete without the woman, but it is to his glory to know that the woman was created for him. And so this thing called marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's doing because he personally took the dignity of being the first father to give away the bride. Genesis 2.22 says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. He made her and then he brought her in a profound sense he had fathered her and now though she was his by virtue of creation he gave her to the man in this relationship that we call marriage are you seeing a pattern here You know, about a year ago I had the uh, incredible privilege and opportunity of walking my daughter down the aisle to give her to the man who's going to become her husband and so in that sense Even though I had fathered her, I was giving her away." Marriage is God's doing because He not only created the woman with this design and brought her to the man like a father brings his daughter to her husband, but also because He spoke the design of marriage into existence. He did this in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2, "...therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." Now Matthew 19:4 through5 in teaching his disciples, Jesus replied that at the beginning, the Creator, God, made them male and female, and said, "For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." Jesus said that Genesis 2:24 is the Word of God, and God spoke marriage into existence. And then marriage is God's doing when He performs the one-flesh union. It is God who in each marriage ordains and performs a uniting called one-flesh that is not in man's power to destroy. Jesus makes this explicit in Mark 10, 8-9 when He says, And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let no one separate. And that brings us to the heart of this message. That this one flesh union that God created, a beautiful thing that the world has corrupted and so casually tosses around, is actually a covenant relationship that God has established. A covenant is an agreement ratified by blood by a God who cannot lie and never abandons what he promises. Marriage is not a contract, it is a covenant. The term covenant means a coming together. The Old Testament Hebrew word basically meant bonding, almost in the sense of, of skin bonding together by using super glue. See, many couples today are in a contractual marriage, but not a covenant marriage. What are the differences? Well, a contract says, I take thee for me. A covenant says, I give myself to thee. A contract says, you had better do it, a covenant says, how may I serve you? A contract says, what do I get? Covenant says, what can I give? Contract says I'll meet you halfway. Covenant says I'll give you a hundred percent plus. And finally, a contract says, I have to. A covenant says, I want to. A covenant marriage is intended by God to be a lifelong relationship exemplifying unconditional love, reconciliation, sexual purity, and growth. A covenant is an eternal commitment with God. And so we see that marriage is God's doing because it was His design and creation, because He personally gave away the first bride in marriage, because He spoke the design of marriage into existence, as in leave parents, cleave to your wife, become one flesh. And because the one flesh union is established by God Himself in each marriage. This is the most foundational thing that we can say about marriage. So foundationally, marriage is a doing of God. Ultimately, marriage is the display of God. It is designed by God to display His glory in a way that nothing else can. In Ephesians 5, 31-32, Paul says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he adds this. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. In other words, Paul was saying that marriage is patterned after Christ's commitment to his church. You see, Christ referred to himself as the bridegroom coming for his bride. And Paul knew his ministry was to gather the bride, the true people of God, you and I, and betroth us to Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven two, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a true virgin to Christ. You see, Jesus knew he would have to pay with his own blood for his redeemed bride. He called this relationship the New Covenant. In Luke 22:20, 20, he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Marriage exists for God's glory. It exists to display God. It is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to the church. So here's a profound statement. God did not create marriage to make us happy. God created marriage to reveal His glory and to spiritually mature us. And how does he spiritually mature us? Well, you see, when, when I've done something wrong and, and, and I ask my wife to forgive me, and she offers that forgiveness to me, that demonstrates how God's forgiveness is brought to us as well. So it's things like that that spiritually mature us. So again, God not, did not create marriage to make us happy. He created marriage to reveal his glory and to spiritually mature us. So you may be saying... Are you saying that we shouldn't have happiness in our marriage? No, not at all. I'm not saying that. You know, A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike used the illustration of the triangle in describing uh, marriage couples and, and the fact that at the bottom of each leg of the triangle, on one side is man, on one side is the wife, and at the top is God. And as the husband and the wife move closer towards God, up the legs of those triangles, then they are moving closer to each other as they're doing that. So, as we seek God together, then we grow closer together, and marriage brings out that happiness that is a byproduct of that. You see, we have to stop asking of marriage what God never designed it to give. Perfect happiness, conflict, free living, and idolatrous obsession. Instead, we need to appreciate what God designed marriage to provide partnership, spiritual intimacy, and the ability to pursue God together. You see, Scripture talks about if if one can put a thousand to fight, then two can put ten thousand to fight. and what better too than you and your spouse fighting together in spiritual battles. The most common misconception that Christians have about marriage is that of finding a, quote, soulmate, unquote. Someone who will complete us The problem with looking to another human to complete us is that, spiritually speaking, it's idolatry. We are to find our fulfillment and purpose in God. And if we expect our spouse to fill that role, then he or she will fail us every day. But God will never fail us. And as we pursue God individually and together as husband and wife, then that happiness and contentment that we so desire will come. This past week, a good friend of mine posted something on Facebook, and uh, he posted a picture of an elderly couple walking away from him. And he'd written under the caption or under the picture, he'd written a, that he was on a business trip, and he had come out of his uh, uh, out of the elevator into the lobby. And as he came out of the elevator, he noticed that out in front of him was an elderly couple walking away from him, and something about them just caught his attention. So he stopped and, and observed, and he noticed that the wife had had put her arm around her husband, and that he was struggling to put his arm around her. So she stopped and, and reached around and helped him to get his arm up around her. And He said, you know, I just had a moment of reflection during that time. And and I was thinking how that, you know, I try to be a good husband, but make a lot of mistakes, and I don't always do things right. But 30 years from now, I want that to be us, That uh, that I can say that I love my wife so much. And I thought, you know, he talked about reflection. And so the question I have for us is what kind of reflection is our marriage? As the world sees us and views us in our relationship with our spouse, what are they seeing? See, here's what they should be seeing. Every marriage should aspire to be the physical manifestation of the invisible reality of Christ and His Bride. Let me say that again. Every marriage should aspire to be the physical manifestation of the invisible reality of Christ and His Bride. And if you're listening to this, I, I don't know your situation as far as it relates to your relationship with your spouse. I have been doing this long enough to know that there are so many couples, and, and even couples within the church, that they're really struggling in their relationship and really having some difficulties, and many times they don't want to admit it to other people. You know, they don't want other people to know, and there are two words that really keep them kind of bound in that, and that word, to those words are pride and shame. They're shameful because they don't want anybody to think that they're actually having problems. And pride gets in the way because they don't want people to think that they don't have things under control. Can I let you in a little secret? If you're having difficulty in your relationship with your spouse, unless you are the world's greatest illusionist, there is a good chance that somebody already knows that you're having difficulty in So I want to encourage you today that you will seek out uh, good friends, good godly friends, or our pastor, or someone that you can trust and say, you know what? We're struggling. We need some help. We need some prayer. And I'd like to pray for you right now. Father, I know that there may be some that are listening right now that are really having struggles in their relationship, maybe even to the point of saying, I just don't know if this is going to work anymore or not. But God, I pray that they would take a moment now and reflect back and look and see if their marriage has ever been built on the foundation that it should be. That marriage is not a contract. That marriage is a covenant. A lasting covenant till death do us part. In sickness and in health, In the good times and the bad times, they made that commitment. And they did so many times in your presence where you were invited into the relationship. So, Father, I pray for them right now that they would have the courage to seek out someone to say, Would you pray with us? We need some guidance and we need some help. Thank you. God bless you.